Welcome to the Before You Buy or Sell a Business podcast, where we help buyers and sellers learn more about the acquisition process, discuss recent transactions, and stay up to date on the latest news in the market. Here's your host, Jared Johnson. All right, so today I'm down in San Diego, California with Isaac Sacido of Quick Dry Flood Services. So thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. Appreciate it. Awesome. So, you know, you were one of my former clients, um, probably one of my favorite ones. You were very easy to, to work with and deal with. So I thought it'd be great to have you come on and talk to people about buying businesses. So maybe we can dive in first on your, your background. You know, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into the business? Sure. Sure. Thanks for having me again. Um, the process was fun. <laughs> so I grew up here in San Diego. I'm from the South Bay, which is uh, probably really close to TJ, Chula Vista area. Um, I got started in the industry because my father was in the industry. He was a building inspector. And during the boom, he decided to become a general contractor. So I worked my way through college and I worked with him. And I was offered a position with a different company. Um, the guy is very similar to me. He's actually my competitor now. So I learned a lot from him. I learned what to do, what not to do. And so I started implementing that on in my processes, in my businesses. Um, when I first got hired by him, I told him up front I had my license and what I wanted to do. So it was it was natural for me to go this route. And he knew it from the very beginning. Um, I enjoy what I do. I love it. It's sometimes it's complicated. I think the people are the more more of the challenge than anything. But but I really enjoy what I do. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of what, what we hear from small business owners is the, the employees and, and the buyer. Of course, the customers, you know, dealing with personal situations is always difficult. So you started IAS Builders. So what year was that that you started that company? So I actually started a company based off of my last name because I didn't know what I was doing. Salcedo Construction. Okay. And then that became IAS Builders. That was in 2009. Okay. So I started with zero work. So, you know, you can only go up and... But you also started one of the craziest times, yes. right? So yeah. was that before or after kind of the real estate crash or was it kind of like right when it started? So it was, there was no work going around. It was right when the boom had basically collapsed. The boom over here in San Diego collapsed like 2007, 2008. Okay. And then we really on the construction side started feeling it in 2009, 2010, 2011. Okay. That's when everything started turning around. So I had zero work whatsoever. And you're so some people would probably say you're a little crazy to <laughs> do it right, right when, uh, you know, the, the bottom. But I guess, like you said, you can kind of only go up from there. So that was my mentality. I mean, I can't I'm in zeros already, so yeah, I, I can't continually stay in zeros. So it wasn't too difficult after that, you know, get one or two jobs and do good work, get word of mouth. And then after that, start spiraling. Was it mostly residential or commercial or both? It was both. OK, it was both. And then you also started San Diego Custom Cabinets and Closets, right? So when was that? So we've started several companies, more out of necessity than anything. Okay. So our business was a lot of insurance-related work, a lot of residential work, and there was always a necessity for cabinets, millworks, multiple trades. The truth is we wanted to hire people to do this because we didn't want to do it. It's a headache. And we just couldn't get people to show up on time. We couldn't get people to do what they said they were going to do. So we decided to do it ourselves. And that's essentially what we did. And obviously it worked. So <laughs> it's working. It's continually working. It's much easier control wise, customer service wise to run your own stuff. Yeah. 
So, well, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if like, if you don't feel like your competition's doing, you know, a, a good enough job, then kind of go out and do yeah. it, do it yourself. And then obviously eliminate some of the competition that way as well. So makes sense. So, uh, how many businesses did you start before you acquired quick dry? I started four businesses. Wow. And all of them construction related? No, one of them was a nutrition store. Okay. Which I did not do well in. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon killed us. Okay. So I learned a lot of lessons, good lessons there. Yeah. Um, I didn't lose too much money. I mean, I lost money, but not, not what I would consider a lot of money. Yeah. Did you close it down or sell it or what would you yeah. do with it? Okay. Yeah. Close it down. Yeah. So I guess uh, you kind of learned to to stick with what, what you knew, yes. right? And what you were good at. So you know, Hey, at least you didn't lose too much and you kind of got that out of the way, right? Correct. Got out of your system. So yes. cool. Okay. So we'll talk about uh quick dry flood services. So how did you find this business that you acquired? So I was already in the industry. I was getting work from quick dry. Okay. And I had other accounts that were giving me work as well. And you know, it's word of mouth referral based. Yeah. And I would meet with my referral accounts every month. We would talk how we can make things better. One day, Tisha, who was the previous owner here, she threw it out there. She's like, hey, would you ever be interested in, in buying us out? We want to retire. And I raised my hand right away. I was like, absolutely, let me know. When that happened, I have what I would consider a business partner. Him and I sat down and we talked about it seriously. And I knew she said it flippantly. Like mm -hmm. it was not a big deal to her. And I told him, hey, she just offered it. I took it serious. Let's start saving money. So right away, we started saving money. I didn't know what it, what the value would be. Zero idea what was going to happen next. But it was a natural progression for us to to go into this industry. And what, what year was that that she kind of threw it out there? I want to say probably 2019. Okay. So from there, you, you started saving, kind of getting yourself in a good position mm -hmm. to to actually, you know, make it happen. How long was that period from when she kind of threw it out the first time to actually sitting down and talking about it? I'd say about a year. Okay. Probably a little bit sooner because we weren't, the truth is, Jerry, we weren't prepared mm. money-wise. I wasn't in a position where I felt I was really ready to go. But sometimes opportunities come and you have to jump on them. And right. we found a way to get it done. Yeah. So once you, you know, kind of made, made sure she understood you were serious, like how did that conversation go? So she called me up one day. She's like, hey, we're done. And this was during COVID. She mm -hmm. had lost a bunch of employees and I had, I knew that it was going to happen because I'm plugged into the industry. I gave her warnings. When it happened, she came to me. She's like, we're done. We're tired of it. Let's, let's get started. I didn't make her an offer. I basically told her, and I think you know this, I told her, I don't have the money, but I can go and see if I have financing. So the bank is going to determine what the value of the business is. Mm -hmm. And if that's where it falls in and I can afford it, then I want it. And her and I have a relationship in the sense that when we say something, we do it. Mm -hmm. She's always worked with me that way. So she knew that if, if I was in the position to buy it, I wanted it. Okay. And I, and I told her that up front. Well, obviously like what you were saying earlier with kind of having some challenges with some of the, the, you know, other companies you worked with, you kind of went out and started your own. So it seems like you have a good feeling and a good understanding of who's actually working and who's not. Mm -hmm. So if you had a good relationship with her, then obviously she kind of checked that box for you, right? Her, her company was doing well. Um, and you were comfortable working with her. So she, she kind of fit that, that mold of what you were looking for. So naturally, if you were excited to acquire it, then 
it makes sense at that point that it was somebody that you felt comfortable with and it was a business that you you actually wanted so later on i asked her in fact she brought it up several times she's like you know you weren't the the best person she's like you have a lot of good people around you and i knew that you had the support to take this on and still manage the other businesses yeah so it, it kind of made more sense i think you have a lot of times with sellers um you know, they're, they're always nervous to, although she was burned out and she was tired and, and kind of, you know, over it, right. With losing employees and, and constantly dealing with what business owners deal with, she still didn't want to hand it off to somebody that wasn't going to take it in the right direction. And I see, I see that a lot, um, where people are more, you know, they're, they're more likely to kind of work with you on a deal or sell it to somebody that they know is going to kind of take care of their child, <laughs> you know, when they send them off to college or whatever, however you want to figure it out, you know? So, that's good that she, you know, she saw that in you. So obviously it was a, a good mutual understanding between the two of you. I think you hit it like spot on. I was able to empathize with her. Mm. So I, I asked her, how do you see the company in the future? And she gave me her points and I, and I reiterated, I, I don't plan on changing much. You know, the accounts that she has or the book of business she has, they're her lifelong friends. Mm. So I have to maintain those lifelong friendships for her. I joke with her. I tell her she's still my boss because she's still my boss. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, whatever works, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you obviously kind of didn't have a ton of negotiations back and forth like a typical transaction because you were more or less looking to see what a bank could finance and then what would work. So how did it come to uh, fruition that it was the business and then also the building? Was, was that always on the table from the beginning? I don't think I would have purchased the business without the building. Okay. And I, there was, if you recall, there was another, another property that was included as well, but you couldn't finance it. And I understood why. Um, but the building was essential to me. I wanted to be my own boss. I've always wanted that. So if I was going to go in and leverage myself and do whatever I had to, to get the business, I felt that there's a necessity to have the building as well. It's going to provide me stability long-term. So that's why it was never it was never off the table or it was never on the table to buy a business without the property. Okay. That was just for me. Yeah, makes sense. And she obviously was comfortable with that. Later on, she told me, she's like, I wish I would have never sold the building because somebody <laughs> offered me like an additional million dollars oh, wow. like the next month after I bought the business. Wow. Obviously, I can't sell it. Yeah. And it doesn't fit within my plans, but the market jumped right afterwards, right. if you recall. Yeah, it was a odd time because everybody kind of thought with COVID that yeah. real estate was going to crash and then it went the other way, especially in, you know, some of the industrial stuff. So, yeah, it made sense. If you remember what was kind of the agreed upon amount, but you were waiting to see what the valuation came in at, do you remember? We never talked about it. Okay. I remember, I'm going to add this to the previous question. The business broker really pushed things along. Mm-hmm. Um, they put me in contact with you because I had gone to four other banks and the four other banks had turned me down. Okay. And that was Dustin, right? Dustin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when I met you and you gave me a glimmer of hope, I just went to her again. I told her, look, this guy told me he's going to be able to fund me or finance me. And it really comes down to whatever the bank says it is. There's going to be an appraisal. So I recognize that one day when I sell, it's a sensitive subject, the value of a company. Mm -hmm. So I never stepped on anybody's toes. I didn't lowball her. I didn't make her an offer because I told her up front 
the bank is going to determine that. Right. That, that's just how this works. And not knowing anything, I figured it was like a, like a, you know, you're buying a house. They're going to appraise it. The bank's not going to give you more money than what it appraises for. Right. So we didn't have those negotiations up until the very, very end. Yeah. So we, you know, we kind of see usually the other way around, right? Somebody will say, this is what I'm willing to list it for. And with the value of the business is often determined by the business broker who will do the research and kind of determine what the value is. Now, does that ever always fall directly in line with what the bank wants to do? Typically, no. Um, there's, there's, you know, really good brokers that completely understand how to value them. And there's some that, you know, just deal with what the seller says they want to sell it for, they're willing to sell it for. So um, with your case, it was, a, it was a little different. You kind of allowed the business appraiser to come in with the value and then work backwards from there. So a little unique. Um, I do feel like it, it probably helped both of you out because it was less back and forth with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, arguing over what the true value is of the business. So it's kind of unique and is kind of interesting. Um, do you remember what the valuation came in at on the business? So Dustin originally had the, the property listed at $2.5 million and they wanted, I want to say like 4.1 or 4.5 million for the business. Okay. And the appraisal came in high at three point four mm -hmm. and the property came in low at like 1.7 or 1.8 yeah as i remember the the seller being a little frustrated with the <laughs> the appraisal um i think if i remember correctly she even had grabbed a couple comps and had a, yeah. a broker come and look at it and that happens from time to time you know where and sometimes it's the other way around um a lot of times we'll get a business appraisal and it'll be much higher than what it's selling for and um you know, a lot of times the sellers kind of know that they're giving them a little bit of a discount here and there, but it's, uh, with the real estate side, it's kind of, it is what it is. We can't, you know, go back. And, and I think we did, we, we went and talked to the appraiser, mm -hmm. gave them the comps and they kind of came back and said, Nope, this is the value. Uh, a lot of times I don't see appraisers kind of admit they made a mistake and then want to change it. So it's just kind of how it goes, I guess. But so then once they came in, one was higher, one was lower, did you um, adjust everything? So that's when you and I had a conversation because we had limited funds mm -hmm. to a certain degree because I had limited funds. I think you could only go up to $5 million on an SBA. Correct. And we were going to exceed that. And my monies had to take us under the $5 million mark, mm -hmm. which was fine. So that's where the business broker really came in because it's an incentive for him to make money, just like it's an incentive for you to make money to bend the, the seller's ear. And that's where he came in. That's where he was pivotal for us. I've, I see a value in going with a business broker and just paying for it mm -hmm. simply because they're the intermediary. They're the ones that have experience and they help you set up your deals. An example was we had an A&R, so she had a lot of receivables, maybe mm -hmm. close to $2 million in receivables. And she wanted to pay nothing basically on that. And I, I could see her position, you know, these are jobs that were completed almost 16 months ago. And now, you know, somebody else that had nothing to do with this job, now they get some money. So that's where Dustin came in. And I told Dustin, look, I don't want to, I don't want to do all this work for her for only 10% or 5%. It needs to be closer to like 40%. Mm -hmm. And so Dustin came to me and told me, Hey, that's not reasonable. Let me try and get her at 35 or 25%. So we got her at 25%. 
I didn't have to step on her toes. Those are those are positions. Those are situations where there's a lot of emotions attached to it because it's money. Yeah. And it's her money. Well, and it's not even that it's building the business, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's something I talk about all the time is the, you know, the difference in emotions between a buyer and a seller, and they never seem to line up just right through the whole transaction. You have one party that's really high and one that's really low. Um, I heard a broker say the other day, every good deal dies three times. <laughs> and, <laughs> and a lot of that is emotionally driven. It's not so much that, uh, there's a problem with the appraisal or there's a problem with negotiations. A lot of it's just emotional. You know, if you, if you have it from a seller standpoint, you know, she felt that she had already earned those receivables and you were trying to just get them for free. But then from your side, you're sitting there going, what am I supposed to do as far as working capital, right? You need to be able to collect on those receivables so that you can operate the business. So, you know, to give a little context for listeners, um, when when you're looking at a business um, from a buyer standpoint and from a seller standpoint, when it comes to accounts receivable, um, the bank especially is also going to look at it because we want to see how much working capital you have. If you're waiting to collect funds from somebody or you're in the middle of a job, the last thing that you want as a buyer is to go out and perform all this work essentially for free um, because otherwise you're shelling out, paying your employees, paying for you know uh, materials, paying gas, your auto, everything, right? And then you're not going to collect on those receivables for those jobs. Um, but then also from the seller side, they're sitting there looking at it going, well, that was my sale that I made. Why can't I have the money? <laughs> you know, so. There's also a little bit of context to that because we have a full-on collections department and mm-hmm. the business kept on going. So one of her arguments was, well, it'll keep your people busy. And my counter, and I didn't talk with Tisha about this, but my counter to Dustin was, well, yeah, I have to pay those expenses right. of that collection department. And I don't know how long that's going to be. Yeah. So it's not, it has to be fair both ways. And yes, I didn't do anything for those previous jobs, but I will do something to collect that money. Correct. And yeah. there's value to that. If, if you're keeping your people busy, that costs you money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So somebody has to pay for it. So. I'm going to add something else. Cause you had asked me this before, if I was selling a business, let me back up a little bit. Her business was worth everything that, that Dustin had listed it for and mm-hmm. probably more, but like most business owners, like myself, we play the taxes, mm-hmm. you know, there's things that we hide knowing what I know now, if I'm going to sell my business long-term, I'm going to pay full taxes so that I show the full net income. Mm-hmm. Because then that provides a higher value to my business on paper for two to three years. Correct. Whereas she didn't plan for this. So I guess the moral of the story is we got to plan for this. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for saying that. (laughs) I feel like I have that conversation almost every single day, two or three times a day with brokers, sellers, buyers. Um, A lot of times what I hear is... I'm a business owner. Like you got to work with me here. And what I usually kind of come back to him at is like, I, I, no, I, we don't have to. Um, I understand that that is something that um, people have, you know, kind of worked the system. And, and there's obviously ways to make it work, right? With depreciation, amortization, interest. You know, certain expenses that are eligible. That's fine. We will add those back. But when it comes to people just essentially either completely leaving sales off the book or adding in expenses for personal items that are not something that is truly part of the business, that's where we struggle as a lender. And that's what 
sellers struggle to understand when they go to sell the business that buyers for the most part are putting their foot down and saying, I'm, I don't care that you did that. And what I often say to the seller is, um, you know, well, congratulations, you've done a great job avoiding paying taxes for all these years. You've gotten away with it. Well, now you won't have to pay as much in capital gains when you sell the business. And they usually kind of laugh and get a little annoyed with me, but it is what it is. At the end of the day, like you said, if if you want to sell the business for truly what the value is, you got to pay your taxes. You can't play games. You got to be fair with everybody, um, you know, at the end of the day, doing an SBA loan is a federal program, right? So, it, you know, we don't want to aid, uh, you know, in, in tax evasion. So it is what it is. But I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. <laughs> we got uh, the structure figured out and taken care of as far as the appraisals and everything. Got it done. Um, one thing I will say uh, that that definitely helped you. You were very, very responsive. Um, I remember kind of joking with my underwriter and our, you know, now credit manager. I think it was early, you know, I was on central time, he's on Eastern time, and it was probably four thirty, five o'clock in the morning on the West Coast. And I text you and said, Hey, are you, do you have time to talk? You usually are very responsive in the morning. You immediately respond, Sure, call me. <laughs> so um we were able to jump on the phone with you and and hammer some stuff out pretty early. So um, you know, for a listeners out there, I think that's something that does go a long way with your, with your lender. And I'm sure that's something that your clients appreciate is that you're, you're always available and you're, you're quick to respond. So that helped you out a lot. Well, to add to that, I don't let a lot of people call me at four in the morning. (laughs) All right. I feel special. Yeah. But this was pretty important. And most business owners, I know they wake up really early. You don't have enough time. Right. And that's when you usually, for me, that's when I have my time, my mm-hmm. ability to read the newspaper, pray, whatever I got to do. Yeah. It happens at that time. And yeah. this was really important to me. Well, good. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you made it a priority. It definitely paid off. So, all right. So we got that done. We got, got the deal done. Um, what happened after that? How did it go? Did you just immediately go full force into the business? <laughs> did you celebrate with a dinner with the seller what what happened so I, I celebrated with one of my guys our families we had a nice dinner that was that was basically it it was pretty nerve-wracking because the way as i mentioned previously the way i took over the business was from one day to the next so right after thanksgiving on monday i was here and literally they introduced me as hey guys you have a new boss it's him it's that tall brown guy over there <laughs> literally like that so we went to the three departments wow and th- we sat down two key employees and just like that there was no no sugar coating it was just here's your new boss take it or leave it i what i promised most of the almost everybody is i told them look i'm here to learn that was my first thought and i don't plan on changing much the business has been successful that's why i bought it it fits within my book of business, within what I do, where I'm strong at. I know the industry, but I don't know it fully. So I'm here to learn. And so I sat down for about six months, watched everything, didn't change much. And after the six month period, truthfully, I got rid of a lot of slack. Hmm. And it was, it was, ne- it was, there was a necessity behind it. And we started changing things at that point for the better. Now, the previous owner is still here. There's things that she doesn't like, of course. It's a different generation. Mm -hmm. I'm more cloud-based, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and she's more paper-based. And I want things on the cloud. I want to automate things. Right. Those were the largest issues. For the Right now, I'm 
I'm basically, I hit one year about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We have done some substantial changes, but I feel they're for the best. Most of the employees feel like it's for the best. The previous owners had been so successful that there comes a point where you're not looking to grow. Right. And since I'm a little bit younger, I'm looking to expand and to grow. So I revitalized to a certain degree, most of the employees here. It was just a different change. Not that they were doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. It's that there's new blood in place and it has helped the company. Yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of cutting some of the slack, you know, waiting six months. I've read and listened to so many different things where people, you know, when they're what to do after they bought the business. And a lot of people say, you know, at least three months, just kind of sit back and watch. Don't come in unless you absolutely need to come in and, you know, fire half of Twitter. Then that's that's how it goes. (laughs) Right. Um, So otherwise, you know, yeah, most people will come in. And so do you feel that being able to sit there for six months and pay attention to how it was going and then make changes. Do you feel like that eased some of the transition for the employees where they they weren't running out the door right away going, I don't like this guy. Um, did, did that help? Yeah. The, and the context is I did let go of certain guys that were written up because they were no showing or, Mm. you know, that, that, that really helped establish me in fact, because most employees, good employees see the weak employees right? and they expect us to get rid of them because they see the same things we see as business owners. Right. And those are the people you want to stay on your team. (laughs) I think what really helped out is that I went because I really didn't know what everybody did. I got in every truck with every single employee. I went out with different marketers and I met with clients just like they would. I got on the phone just like everybody else to try and collect. I'm not scared to get my hands dirty. And I think that helped a lot. Yeah. Whereas if I was on my way out trying to sell, I'm probably not touching those things anymore. I'm probably in a different position. And that's what was happening here at this company previously. Ownership had established everything Mm -hmm. for their purposes. Whereas I'm coming in and I want to learn from everybody and understand everybody. So... I think that's where it really helped out. Yeah, it's easier for you to see what needs to be changed. And then I'm sure those employees probably were were excited to see that you were um, not necessarily coming down to their level, but you were, were willing to jump in a truck with them and, and spend some time. And they probably you know, were able to bend your ear and tell you some of the things that, that they would like to see changed. So you mentioned changing, um, going away from paper to cloud-based. Um, that's something in, I feel like, especially in the construction industry is really starting to change. You see that a lot with like private equity firms when they buy construction company or they're trying to roll them up. Um, that's one of the first things they do is try to get everything digital. I've done deals, um, working on one right now. They're at over 15 million in sales and they still do everything on paper. Um, they don't even, they even write out payroll checks. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. So the individual that's buying it is really excited about it because, you know, he comes from a different world, you know, like yourself where he can get in there and digitize everything. I'm sure you probably also noticed more of the slack or, or, you know, if somebody was doing something they shouldn't have or inventory is disappearing and all of that, it's a little easier to track. So when you did, make that change or some of the other changes was it well received by everyone or most of the employees other than obviously the seller that liked her old ways (laughs) it was it is well received we're still in process you're going to find that there isn't a software that does everything that Mm. you once had on paper right and that's just the reality you're never going to find the software that's identical so there's a lot of adaptation being versatile 
the challenge I have is sometimes I have a span of, you know, guys from 20 to 65, 66 years old. So wow. logically, the older people are not as tech savvy, mm-hmm. whereas the younger people are more tech savvy. It forces everybody to be more versatile. Right. So I'm I'm ongoing right now. I didn't change that until six months afterwards. Okay. So right now we're barely starting to transition. There's a lot of paperwork that gets signed through us, a lot of contracts, a lot of waivers, and all that takes time to digitize and mm-hmm. to put it into a platform where it works for everybody. Yeah, so it's always if, changing. <laughs> yeah, especially if you if you have multiple departments. Yeah. All right. So you know, it sounds like though either way, um, it's been positive. Have you seen an increase in in revenue profitability of the business since you've acquired it? Yeah, I I don't feel like I should take credit for for that. Our sales are probably the best that they've ever had. I don't attribute that to myself. I attribute that to our marketing team, maybe a little bit of inflation because, mm-hmm. you know, our bills went up too. Everybody's right. bills went up. But yeah, we, we've we hit better numbers than we've ever had. That's great. Again, yeah. it, I don't take credit for that. If anything, that's the previous owner because that was her book of business that uh-huh. we purchased. The credit that I will take is that we've maintained the company the way she expected it to be. That's good. I think you're just being a little humble, but, um, <laughs> you know, they, you, you've built your other businesses to, to a really good spot. Um, you know, you're, you're one of the, the people in the industry that, that, you know, others can rely on. You couldn't find the, you know, other subs or anyone to come in and kind of do as, as well as you were. So you went and started your own. So I'm sure there's, there's a little bit of truth to, to you deserving some of the credit. I also, but you know, I, I understand what you're saying. So what's next? So next month we're going to be taking over a manufacturing company. We've, that's a deal that I had told you before that Mm -hmm. we've been working on. That's going to be interesting Two employees. They do over 1.5 million with only two employees. Wow. I'm really looking forward to only having two employees. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Now that I went through this process, I really enjoyed the process. I enjoyed going in and learning a new company and I'm, I'm continually doing that. So I'm making phone calls like every three to six months, there's deals that are starting to pop up. Mm -hmm. Now that people found out that we, we purchased a couple other businesses, they're calling me. So I have a deal set up next month. And I am talking to somebody else right now for an additional dry out company. Um, I have really good team. I have a really mm-hmm. good staff. I did work on one previously and the client or the owner, the seller was very emotional. Mm. And I learned from him too. He was cheating the tax system, which, you know, we all do. And we couldn't give him the value because he was getting cash on the side, but we couldn't substantiate it. Right. And when you're looking at paper, and you're talking money, you need to physically see that money. And he wasn't able to provide that. So that deal went away because of his emotions. Hmm. I mean, he lost a deal for over 20 grand. A half a million dollar deal went down the drain for 20 grand and his emotions. And that doesn't make sense. When When you really step back, you know, he probably wouldn't get that offer anymore. Right. Given how the economy is going right now. But you could also look at it, you might have saved yourself some, some heartache. If they're gonna get that upset over 20 grand, imagine trying to deal with them six months later, a year later with their clients. So you may have dodged a bullet there as Correct. well. So maybe look at it that way too. 
Um, but so it sounds like you're, you're definitely active. You're trying to find some more deals. Um, do you have kind of a, a number in your head that you're trying to get to, um, a certain number of businesses, a revenue number is what, what's kind of the end game, I guess. My end game has always been that we want to build for ourselves, be my own client and rent property or build for myself. Right. I'm not there yet. Okay. Um, revenue wise, we're in a really good position. Salary wise, obviously we're in a good position as well. But my end goal is to build for myself, create a nonprofit construction company. It reduces tax load. And then you and I talked about this briefly, long-term maybe sell, mm -hmm. you know, if nobody in my family wants to take it over, potentially sell that. I don't know yet. I, I don't have that vision quite yet. And I'm still young enough where I'm hungry still. Yeah, yeah. So I like sourcing new deals and, and making them happen and bringing them to fruition. Right now that I enjoy it. I yeah. get passionate about that. But long term, I have a number in my mind and I'm not there yet. I will be there. But right now I like where I'm at. Okay. Well, good. So it sounds like you're still going to just keep pushing yourself to until you hit that number. Yeah. So makes sense. I think we covered a lot of, a lot of advice that, that, you know, you were able to, to give out. So really appreciate that. Um, I always ask people two questions at the end. So first one, um, do you have a mentor or have you ever had a mentor? That's actually the largest challenge I have. I, I wish I had a mentor. I've reached out to older people mm -hmm. And I haven't been able to find somebody like a, I call it like a pillow, mm -hmm. somebody that you can talk to and not be scared of, of the failures that you, that you've made or certain people have expectations of people in my position or business owners in their position. And it's okay to be human. I haven't been able to find a mentor quite yet. My mentor is a bunch of books. I re I listen to audio books all day long. Any, any specific ones? Uh, I like John Maxwell. Okay. I like a different odd, odd subjects. Like if I'm scrolling through something, if my wife's on TikTok and they see books up there, uh -huh. I'll write them down. I'll listen to them when I'm riding or cycling or working out. I just want to learn more. I'm not there yet. Yeah. So I actually have joined groups specifically to see if I could find a mentor. Hmm. Other than that, I probably have to pay for a personal coach. Well, if you're out there and you want to mentor Isaac, call him. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Last question. Uh, what motivates you? I grew up a certain way. I grew up very well with my family. I didn't know I was not as financially stable as kids around me. Hmm. And I never wanted to feel that way. And I would probably tell you that the peers that I work with, that grew up what I would consider poor, so to speak. You know, we had electricity, we had a toilet. Um, I didn't grow up like having an outhouse. My cousins did, you know, that type of thing. So I, I feel blessed, but I never wanted to feel that way. I mm -hmm. never wanted my kids to feel that way. I always want autonomy. And I think that's what motivates me the most. The autonomy, the ability to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And the business doesn't necessarily allow you that, contrary to popular belief, but it puts you in a position where you can do that. Right. So I think what motivates me the most is having autonomy long-term, and giving my kids or my family or whoever I can influence better opportunities than I was given. Not that I was given crappy opportunities. You know, you're born in the United States, you're already in, in a really good position mm -hmm. relative to people in third world countries. My parents are immigrants, they're from Mexico. Mm -hmm. And they grew up a certain way. 
They grew up without houses. They grew up with no electricity. Truly what, you know, they had a roof, so they weren't like living underneath a tree, but it's all relative. I just want to give my kids and the people around me more better opportunities. Yeah, that's great. Great, uh, great understanding of kind of what you know, lights that fire under you. So that's great to hear. I, I do feel like um, the majority of people that are successful have some kind of, you know, burning desire like that um, to not feel that way. Right. And I'm glad you kind of took that and held on to it. And obviously it ha- that fire hasn't gone out because you're you're still trying to expand and you're still, you know, haven't hit that number that you're you're good with. So. That, that was great. Um, well, I really appreciate your time. You know, if I can ever help you with anything, let me know if you've got right. any uh, last words of advice, you know, feel free to, to spill it out here. <laughs> no, I personally, thank you for taking a risk on me. It's, it's been great. When I felt scared, I jumped mm-hmm. and that has worked for me. Yeah. And I know I wasn't probably the, the best person financially. So on my end, I, you know, thank you. Thanks for taking the risk with me. You, you'll see it's, <laughs> it's going to work out. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so, but yeah, thank you. And if you ever need me to talk again, let me know. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this podcast informative and helpful. Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. For more information, or if you'd like to discuss a transaction, please go to www.jaredwjohnson.com.